Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Can you think of a scary ride, a time you were sitting in the car, or maybe it was an amusement park ride or something like that where you were just along for the ride, you couldn't control anything, and you were freaked the F out for whatever reason? I'm going to share mine with you in this episode. It might tie in with today's theme, which is the RV lifestyle. Now, don't go anywhere if you don't want to live in an RV anytime soon. That's okay because my guests today talk about their experience publishing a book. They talk about what it's like to work on the road as a couple. They share how they get around some tax stuff in the U.S., and what they do as nomads to minimize their taxes. They talk about how they get their mail. I know that's a topic a lot of people (laughs) want to know. They talk about their transition to long-term travel, how much the nomadic life really costs, a whole bunch of stuff. But you also may come away thinking, hmm, maybe that motorhome lifestyle could be pretty good. Maybe that's something I should do. I'm I'm hiking my pants up as I say that. I don't know why I imagine being in a campsite outside of a motorhome, hiking my pants up and saying, yeah, this RV lifestyle's pretty good. I don't know. I don't know why I'm talking like that. Anyway, let's get it going. Welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms, no matter what your situation or experience. Thanks for joining this global community of travel junkies like you. And big changes coming to ZeroToTravel.com. If you haven't been over there, probably won't have the new site up at the time this publishes, but it's coming soon. And if you're not on the email list yet, hop on today. I've got some awesome resources in the works right now and you'll get notified of them as they come out and they're free just like the podcast. So sign up over at zerototravel.com to stay in touch if you haven't done so. Now at the time of publishing this show, it's the holidays. It's that exciting time of year where the calendar year is going to turn over and you might be thinking about your travel goals for next year, how you're going to accomplish them, what you're going to do. I have an episode coming out all about that later on this month. But it's an exciting time of year, and I'm wondering, have you gotten your holiday shopping yet? What a pain in the butt holiday shopping is. But 
If you want to buy something for yourself or for a traveler that you love, have you checked out Tortuga Backpacks? They're supporting today's show. If you go to zero travelcom slash Tortuga, you'll land on a page that shows you the gear that I recommend from them. And you'll get 10% off with the promo code TRAVEL. If you just enter the word TRAVEL when you check out, you'll get 10% off any of the Tortuga backpacks you order or any of the other travel accessories for that matter. And I've been using Tortuga backpacks for years. And now they have backpacks for all different types of travelers and travel styles. So if you're somebody that just takes off for the weekend or shorter trips, you want something more minimal, they got you covered. If you want something that can go for any length trip, I love the Tortuga Outbreaker. It's my favorite backpack. It's made out of sailcloth, so everything stays dry in there. It's just got so much cool stuff. Check it out. ZeroToTravel.com slash Tortuga, 10% off with the promo code TRAVEL. Thanks to them, longtime supporters of this show. And of course, if you get anything through that link, you'll also be supporting the show, and I really appreciate that. Okay, at the top of the show, I mentioned scary rides. Being along for a scary ride. I think if you travel, there is no doubt you're going to be on some rides that you think you might not survive even. A few immediately jump to mind. I will share one of those. Actually, I'll share two of those. On the back end of this show, after the interview, I'm going to slip and slide into the interview right now, let you enjoy that, and I'll see you on the other side, my friend. A few years ago, I met a sweet couple I had only just met through some mutual friends. They stopped by my place in Boulder, Colorado. They were talking about their travels over the last year and their newish website, rvlove.com, and a little bit about their journey from traditional living to becoming nomadic road warriors. And they're still doing it. They've been living on the road ever since, and they just wrote a book. It's called Living the RV Life, Your Ultimate Guide to Life on the Road. How much does a never-ending road trip in an RV really cost? Is the price of an RV worth it? And which ones should you consider? How do you get your mail? Who knows? We're going to answer all these questions today and more. Mark and Julie Bennett, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friends. Hey, it's great to be with you again, Jason. (laughs) Yeah, so excited to be a part of that. I wish we were sitting on a couch somewhere together, but you guys are in your RV, I guess. We are. And yes, in Colorado. In Colorado, kind of where it all started. What part of Colorado? We're currently down at Chatfield State Park, down on the south side of town. Um, and it's really nice here. It's peaceful. It's This is off-season here, so the campground's probably at like 10% occupancy. So we feel like we've just got this really serene, quiet place to be hanging out. It is a little chilly, though. We're usually much further south by this time of year. (laughs) Yeah, where were you living in Colorado before you bought the RV and and hit the road? We were living on the north side of town. We were living halfway between Denver and Boulder in a town called Broomfield or Westminster. Okay. And then we had a townhome there in a neighborhood called Bradburn Village, and it was uh, it was really nice. It was a nice little townhome, and it was a nice community we had there. But it was all very nice. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just you know it was very nice. But we still were just like we wanted more. You know, we wanted uh, more travel, more experience, more adventure, and so we just started asking questions and uh, looking at different ways to make that happen. And here we are. And four and a half years and 50 states later, we're still rolling. <laughs> All right. Yeah. You started asking questions. You mean you started asking yourself big questions? Yeah. What kind yeah, of questions? Did. How did those questions start? 
You know, I think we've always been the kinds of people that ask, well, you know, what do I want my life to be? And and we like to do that together as a couple. You know, we'd sit down on a Friday night, pour a glass of wine, you know, sit down. And instead of watching TV, we're not TV watchers, we'll sit down and say, well, what do you want to do next year? And what do you want to create? And where do you want to go? And, you know, we'd, we'd remodeled the townhome. We'd done the nesting thing. It was all nice and everything. So they're hearing that word nice again. You know, we had the cars that we wanted. You know, we everything, life was good. There was nothing wrong or bad with it. But we were just like, God, I'd really love to go here and I'd really love to go there and I'd really love to experience this. And, and we created a Pinterest board and uh, started putting pictures, just like, what do we want? We just put it up there and, and then we looked at it and we're like, huh. There is no no things on here. This is all experiences. This is all places and uh, experiences that we want to have. So so how do we change our life to have more experiences and, and less of a focus on things and step away from that material accumulation that's just so rife in our society? That's what we want more of. Yeah, a reprioritization, I guess. And that's a cool idea because I've done vision boards before. You know, I like that because you cut out things from magazines and you slap it on a piece of uh i don't know a big piece of cardboard or whatever but yeah you can do that virtually some people i feel like when they make these transitions where they dramatically change their lives from you know sort of we'll say normal or traditional living in air quotes to living on the road like you guys have i feel like there's no in between it's either like this slow gradual sort of process or it's just this awakening moment or something what was that for you guys Mm -hmm. well i think it was it was a bit of an awakening in that we realized that we really wanted a lot more travel and experiences than we wanted things. And so we wanted to get out of that traditional lifestyle. And then when we just had the thought, well, hey, what about traveling with RV? And we originally thought they were expensive. And then we had the realization that they're not as expensive as we first thought. That was the big aha. And it was just game on. Like, let's see if we can make this happen. And so we started doing the research. And like Julie said, asking some questions like, how about internet connectivity? Because we had jobs that we tried to ha- that we were going to need to take with us on the road, and so how do you get your mail? Yeah, that's everyone's first <laughs> but, question. But, but once we realized that the RV, that the financial viability and the internet connectivity ability, then it was you know full steam ahead. And probably six months from that point, we were we were out of there. We had sold yeah. the house and we bought the RV and we literally S- drove off into the sunset. Six months <laughs> is pretty. I think it was quick. eight. I think, I, mean, eight, I think six or eight months is, is actually pretty quick to make so many big changes because they they can still be hard. I mean, did you guys struggle at all when you were selling the house, for example, yes. or like, the emotional attachment? Yes. Because then you're, you're kind of cutting the cord, right? Not that you can't just buy another house, of course, but it's, it, yes. it, you know, it gets real when you got the fourth sale sign out on your front yard. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's really funny you say that, Jason, because we, we initially were going to rent the townhome out. And then, you know, just a few different things we thought about, you know, what if somebody ruins the house and all of that? And we're just like, you know what? We want to be really free. So let's just sell it. And then we don't have to be worrying about what's going on back in Colorado. And so we, we did that. We, you know, got the realtor out. Now, we got an offer the first day. Like within the first showing, like within hours, like a couple of hours of them seeing it. So it moved really fast. And we wanted, we were very specific that we wanted a full price offer. We wanted them to buy our furniture. We wanted to have a private buyer so we could have a 30 day close. We were really specific in what we wanted the picture to look like. And that's exactly what came up, which is really crazy, right? So that's kind of a sign that, all right, we must be doing something right. It must be on the right track. So, but then we signed the papers to, to say, yeah, okay. 
okay, we accepted the contract. And it was only a 30-day close, but that just triggered something in me emotionally and I just cried every single day <laughs> for, I think, days? the 30 days until – well, yeah, from when we decided to sell the house, because like you said, then it, it's one thing to think and talk about it, but then it was real. And I think, you know, we'd go walking every afternoon with the dog and I'd be crying and poor Mark feels so bad. He feels really guilty. And I'm like, no, it's not. Like, we both made this decision together. You didn't make me. You're not forcing me. We're both making this decision. But but I said, it's obviously bringing up something in me that I didn't realize was there. And I think a lot of people, that happens for a lot of people and they don't realize it. We've met a lot of people on the road that have a variety of emotional experiences and it's one of those things that people are so excited about where they're going to go and what kind of RV they're going to have and the places they'll visit and don't really give the proper thought to the emotional journey but uh, you know having that realization that I, I think it was the first home that I'd owned it was the first time I'd owned with um, my husband and I'd spent years nesting and making it pretty and all those things and I, I guess there was more of an emotional sense of attachment to that being security to me sure then I realized until until that shit got real and then it's like oh well we can't back out now but you know it's funny the day we closed on the house and it was done I was completely fine it was just that like a little mourning period I think where I was kind of mourning maybe that idea of that that American dream that we're all brought up to you know you get the house and you know it felt like that's the path we were going down but we asked the question and realized well Maybe we don't want to go down that path. Maybe we want to create a different path. And and like you said, there are emotional reactions, and and I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's just being real with your with your experience of it. And and I think sometimes people think that emotional reactions are bad, or if you're crying or upset about something, it's bad. But I don't think it is. I think it's just a sign that you're processing and you're you know a big change in your life. And and uh, yeah, just move through it and on to the next thing. <laughs> It's easy to think, like, don't have feelings. Let's all be robots. Let's just, <laughs> you know, work through these sure. things. It doesn't work yeah. like that, of course. And yeah, you're right. I mean, I think this is one of the big underlying benefits of making a big change like this is you are forced with a lot of these big questions, right? What are the important things in life? Or, you know, is this the thing I really want? And then when you decide you're going to do something different, that doesn't mean all of a sudden it's easy peasy, right? Because you're you're essentially closing, it doesn't mean you can't go back to that kind of life, but you're closing a chapter, a big chapter of your life and going into something completely new that you've never done before, really, that is totally unknown. And that can be scary, of course. Like you said, I think the security thing is 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 the hardest thing. I mean, that's why, especially when you have self-imposed deadlines, right? Like you guys could have carried out this process for a couple of years. So what kind of advice do you give to people that, want to do something more in, untraditional like this that you guys are doing and they're going to have to maybe part with their house or rent it out or get rid of a bunch of stuff or everything like that. How does one make that happen in a reasonable time frame? I guess? Because, you know, see, this is how a lot of people don't end up going because they drag these things out too long and then life just happens and the next thing you know is two or three years have gone by. Do you have any advice around that? Well, we do see a lot of people that do put this off or make it a long-term decision. And a lot of the people that do that are people that are, say, in retirement age, and this is something that they've been dreaming of for a really long time. Um, but, you know, we have a whole section on that in the book about setting yourself up for success and planning and doing that preparation process. And uh, one of the things that I think you need to do first is just ask yourself the question, why? Why you were interested in looking at a different lifestyle? What is it that you're wanting to achieve out of it? Because 
you know, I mentioned the retirement group. Now, those folks might be out to just, they've been saving their whole lives. This is something they've dreamt about a long time. They have a huge list of things they want to go do and see. And so they're going to have a very different approach to someone who's maybe a solo 20-something and working seasonal jobs and wanting to make the most of the fact that they have a house that can move to go find that work. Or, it's just a very different dynamics. And But that question of why they're looking to do the lifestyle drives a lot of the future decisions about what type of RV you use, how you're going to travel, the pace you're going to travel, where you go, and how you work, how you connect, mm. and uh, a lot of those other decisions behind. And, and I think to add to that too, I mean, that, that's really – I agree. Then just starting with that why, because that will drive the decisions. But the the financial pieces, again, you know, it depends on your age and your life stage. If you're if you're forty something and you've got kids in school, it's obviously a much bigger decision than someone who's twenty five and single, or you know, somebody who's you know sixty two and you know just got their social security and about to you know, start using their 401k. So it's really different for everybody. But just to know what your financial picture is even now, it's really hard to know what you what it's going to cost you in this lifestyle until you know what your current lifestyle costs you. And typically we find when people say, well, how much does it cost to do that? And it's like, you know what, it's pretty much generally speaking around about what it costs you to live now. And that's a broad answer because every all, it all costs us different amounts to live every month, right? We've met people that live on 1500 a month, whether in a regular life or on the road, and people who spend 10000 a month in regular life or on the road. And what we find is we all have a certain standard of living that we like. We like certain style. We like certain types of food or eating out or entertainment. And, and those are the kind of expenses that you're going to take with you on the road. So some people might just go and buy a, a – like if, you, if your goal is to save a, a ton of money and travel and just, you know, really save on rent and that kind of a thing and say do that for a year, I mean, you're probably going to buy a less expensive RV you know, when you you know, if you're twenty something, you don't care. I mean, you just moved out of a college dorm room. You know, maybe <laughs> don't have a kind of standards, if that's one a better word, than somebody who's really established and is you know in their fifties and has got a really nice home and drives a nice car. I mean, they're not going to want to go and live in a crappy old RV. But we know people. It doesn't matter what kind of RV they're driving. If it's some luxury three hundred thousand dollar motorhome, and we've seen plenty of those, or a ten thousand dollar beater. I mean, we all drive the same highways, we all see the same sunsets, we all swim in the same oceans. So we, we just find that it, it becomes more about an attitude and less about what you're traveling in. But you do need to find one that, that you're going to be happy in. And that, I think, uh, you know, if, if not overcommitting yourself financially is one of your whys and one of your goals, then you're not going to overspend. And, you know, that that's another piece of advice I would put in there at the beginning is don't think it's it costs X amount. You'll find one in any price point. It just depends on what your goals are. Well, since you brought up the money question, that's always the number one thing, right? When you're considering hitting the road for any length of time, you got to figure out what it's going to cost and you have enough money for the trip and, and all that type of stuff. And of course, as as we all know, it sounds so cliche to say this, but you'll know what I mean. You can't really put a price on the travel experiences, uh, but you can because there is a price, <laughs> but you carry those with you, <laughs> right? I mean, you carry those with you in your life and they benefit you in different ways that are immeasurable, I believe. So it's, it's really hard to say that even financially, those things don't come around in some way because they certainly can. But that's, a, that's another question that where I'm going, I'm looking more logistically at 
the money question because you guys are getting ready to take off. Okay, so you're going to sell your house. You're going to um, presumably get some money from that. What about the job situation? And I know you guys can only speak to your personal situation, but now since you put this together, this book, I know you've had some case studies in there and different things like that. So maybe you can offer some general advice as well. But just speak to your situation first. How did you guys solve the money question? Because like you mentioned, Julie, you're taking some of those expenses on the road. But the one thing that everybody can't always take with them on the road unless they become location independent, of course, is, uh, <laughs> is their jobs. So that becomes a, a big question for people. So yeah, I'll turn it over to you. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. But one of the things that we like to talk about is that in a traditional lifestyle, you have a lot more fixed expenses. You know, you have a rent or if people are into a home mortgage or something in a regular home, they've got all the home maintenance, but they have the home mortgage, they have HOA, they have property taxes, they have utility bills, and they might have, might have a car that they drive to and from work for commutes. And a lot of those are fixed expenses. And in this lifestyle, your biggest expenses tend to be more variable. And so it gives you a lot more flexibility in how you structure your lifestyle. Um, you, If you don't have the money to pay cash for an RV, you might still have a mortgage, but you can get a 20-year mortgage on some of these more um, RVs because they are like a home. Except they depreciate. They, but they depreciate, <laughs> not like a home. A home, a regular home will appreciate in general, but uh, an RV generally depreciates. But um, so that fixed versus variable, we used to have about two thirds fixed, one third variable, and now we have two thirds variable, one third fixed. And what that does is gives us a lot of flexibility in modifying our outlay to match our income. But to your second part of your question about the work piece is that when we hit the road, I did have a job that I was able to do remotely from home. I was able to work from home. And we just started reevaluating what home was and realized that the people at my work don't, since I didn't have to go to an office, they wouldn't actually know where I lived. And so I just kept my address as Colorado, but we had the road. I told a couple people, I told my immediate supervisor, but for the most part, I didn't tell anybody at work for the first six months on the road. Um, and even then only told a handful, didn't tell the larger part of the company until we'd already been <laughs> on the road longer than we I'm sorry, I'm just laughing because I was, I was going to ask you about like advice on how to uh, have a remote work arrangement with your work. But apparently that is just don't tell them. <laughs> I did tell my my immediate supervisor. I like like the ask forgiveness, not permission philosophy personally, but we, you know, funny, we, we spent a month in Australia in 2016, about a year and a half ago. And Mark did not ask for permission because he wasn't sure he'd get it. So we just snuck off. Yeah, Mark. Yeah. (laughs) And we just worked the U S hours, but that, that's brutal from Australia. But we did it, but, but it was brutal. Yeah, but that was fun. it was just a, it was a test just to see how that would go. You know, we thought, hey, we've been doing this uh, cruising around the United States and just changing time zones a little bit, you know, hour here, hour there. But let's <laughs> let's really take it to the other level and work an eight to five central time job, meaning nine midnight to nine a.m. Australia time. But yeah, um, that was really a great way to you know show that you can really work this remote thing to the max. And, and I did have my regular job reporting to them for the first few years. The biggest advice I'd have is just make sure you have your connectivity dialed in, make sure your internet is a priority so that it's seamless to those people you work with. Hmm. But uh, we did that for the first few years. And then eventually 
um, our RV Love channel and a lot of our other content started to become more than we could handle on top of my regular job and also started to show legs as its own mm-hmm. business, really. And so yeah. then we became even more location independent and because self-employed. I saw the vlog. That was pretty recent, yeah. right? No, a year and a half ago. Okay. Okay. Well, I just saw it recently, I guess. So I'm sorry okay. I'm out of the loop. But congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. But yeah, I just want to add to that too, Jason, because you did ask, you know, how do people the first thing for most is, well, how can I do that if my job doesn't let me travel remotely? And even though Mark's job was working from home, I do want to back up a bit because mm-hmm. ever since we met, he wanted to have a remote job, but he didn't. And he ironically, he worked for a company 10 minute drive away. And the, the job that he did was a technology-based job servicing a North Carolina office. And he actually didn't even, really didn't need to be going to an office to do his job. But that particular company would not let him work remotely. They wanted him to go into an office. They were a big, more traditional company, and they just weren't comfortable with remote workers. And so Mark actually set about changing his job because he wanted to work from home so bad. This is before we even talked about the RV, by the way. This mm-hmm. is He just wanted to have more freedom and work remotely. And so he just, you know, hired a career coach, updated his resume and, you know, got a job through LinkedIn. Actually, someone, one of your former mm-hmm. uh, colleagues found him on LinkedIn and, you know, within a few weeks over a month, it was really fast. He had a new job working from home and that's, and then it was probably about a year after that is when we did hit yeah. the road. But, you know, that I think if people do want that, like you said, it's not something that you do in a hurry. You might want to do this, but you can't do it right away. But the sooner you start planning, the sooner you'll get there. So, you know, don't put off your planning toward it. It might take two or three years, but if you start now, you're Mm going to still be ahead than if you keep putting it off until someday. Well, and some employers, even though they have policies against it, we we know quite a few people whose work for companies have policies against remote work. And yet when they went into the HR department and said, hey, you know, I'm going to go travel and I'm going to have to put in my resignation. They're like, no, we can let you work remotely, you know, so – it's been really interesting to see these companies when faced with the idea of losing solid talent, mm. they will actually make exceptions to their regularly fairly strict rules. And, and we've also, there's a lot of different jobs that you can do that are remote um, and also are actually jobs that are best for people who have the ability to move. Um, mm. So follow the seasons. You know, I mentioned some people that work in tourism or, um, nursing, even. nursing yeah we see a lot nursing. of people that do or even construction they follow where the work is mm-hmm. and having a job that like that can be an actual real benefit to living remotely like this mm-hmm. and along the way julie were you working on rv love and building up the content there was that your primary mission yeah just just before, not long before we decided to hit the road, I had actually been laid off by my job in Boulder. The company closed their uh, US office, which was in Boulder, and I was in between jobs and looking for jobs in Denver, and the idea of that commute was not very exciting. So that all happened around the time we started talking about RV life and RV living. And I used to have my own company in Australia, um, running events and doing marketing communications, and I always wanted, you know, I always wanted to travel and blog with my husband, even before I had one. You're like, I'm going to meet a husband and I'm going to travel and blog with him. That's right. Here you go. The intention. You manifested this. Jason, that was 20 years ago. That was in 2000, 18 years. I went to, I did an HTML course at Sydney University to learn how to do a blog and write about my travels with my husband. How hilarious is that? But anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. Sorry. But 
But because I was in between jobs and the one that I'd just, you know, been laid off from and was looking for another, we're like, well, if we can just get by a mark salary, then, you know, he was awesome because he said, you want to go back and work for yourself anyway. Why don't you use this as an opportunity to find your groove, just start writing and blogging and making videos and just have fun with it and just enjoy the creative process and sharing our adventures and we'll just see where it goes. So I was really fortunate to have a supportive partner who we could get by on his salary. And as he said, because our our expenses were uh, more variable than fixed, we had more flexibility and control over you know, the faster you travel, the more gas you're going to burn and it's going to cost you more. So you slow down your travels, you can save money there. Same with eating out. That's that's pretty obvious. Um, you know, how long you stay in places, you can get cheaper accommodations if you stay for a month in a place instead of moving on every couple of nights. So just little tricks like that can really make a big difference. So, yeah, I was doing RV Love from the first month we hit the road was June was a labor of love for me. It was a fun, creative project. I never started out thinking I've got a business plan and I'm going to turn it into a business in X amount of months or years. I, I didn't want to put that pressure on myself or on the content. I wanted to be very pure in, in the, the energy that we were creating. And, and that's really worked because, you know, RV Love does, it does have that energy about it. And I think that's part of what attracts people is the, the quality of the content, but also the fun energy that we have around our brand. And it really, Mark was doing it on the side and, and eventually got to the point where it's like, well, <laughs> can't keep doing both. It's like, this is more fun than the other stuff. I'm yeah. I want to do more of this. Okay. So, but did the fixed cost go up? Was that a hard adjustment because of, I think a big question on a lot of people's minds all the time is health insurance, right? How do you guys do the health insurance thing? Was that a dramatic shift? Was that a difficult transition to make? Do you pay your own health insurance now that you're both self-employed? When yeah, we started. we started off on the road, we had my regular job, which had the health insurance. But when we made that transition, we made that leap of faith and banking ourselves to do self-employed. Yeah, we did have that change with our health insurance. And what the health insurance can be a bit of a challenge for people living remotely in an RV because not every state or every traditional health insurance program is a good national plan. Uh, some people still keep a, a local one in from the state they were from. And then if they have something major, they just try and get back to that state um, and then have supplemental insurance for when during their travels. But Julie and I chose a slightly different approach. We actually went with a health share program. And so it's not technically health insurance, health share through Liberty Health Insurance or Liberty Health Share. And basically it's where people pool their money in together and then when one person needs assistance that month, you, you still submit the expenses to them and you get reimbursed. And it's worked out really well for us. We know some other people that have been in the system for quite a bit longer and have really enjoyed it as well. And it keeps the premiums really low. For Julie and I, it's only $350 a month. It was 300 when we started and it just went up to 350 about six yeah, months and ago. So that's wow. that's yeah. two of us. Months. Yeah, and, and what's really great about that plan is not only are they national, they're international. So if we travel anywhere around the world and we can still have the coverage and we can get a lot of things that aren't covered by normal insurance like chiropractic care and stuff like that gets covered where it mm. didn't when we had traditional insurance. And so it actually works really well for us because Julie and I are more um, preventative than we are um, – and we don't have any major medical no pre-existing, pre-existing conditions. conditions or anything like that. So it's worked out really well for us. But that's a great solution, uh, and it's a very common one for people in the RV space. But it is very much a unique uh, 
decision for everyone. There is no one size fits all when it comes to the health insurance side of things. I mean, people have to really look at their specific needs. You know, do they have pre-existing conditions? Do they have, you know, are they on medications, that kind of thing? Where do they get their medications shipped to? These are all, so you, you really need to wade through that, where you're from, what state you're domiciled in. Starting to get into the weeds now, Jason. This is <laughs> that's why you need to, that's why you need to buy the book. Right, yeah, Lund, the book has. Yeah, Got the answers. I wanted to ask about you. You mentioned because then we can move on from some of the money stuff. But there's a lot of questions around that. I know, and and a lot of these I'm trying to ask some questions that also could apply to other people that are just going to go, you know, nomadic and maybe just kind of live around because this can be some of these things can be issues for everybody. And I like I like the mindset of uh, looking at the variable versus the fixed expenses and understanding what's variable and where can you trim the fat on some of the variable stuff so you can make hitting the road for a long term or full time trip. I guess if it's full time, it's not a trip. It's a way of life, right? (laughs) But you make it more of a reality. But the the RV in particular, because I've driven a lot of RVs and those things break down like crazy. (laughs) They are such a... So... I don't know. I, I but I'm also drawn to the idea of it because I've been in them. I've I I used to manage uh I was a tour manager for a band for a while, so I've slept on buses. I've done like the bus RV thing and I love it and I love how you open your door and you, and you're right there either in nature or just kind of you're right on the street and in the case of a music tour or something like that and it's just you're just there. It's just like there's a closer connection to the outside, which I love. But you mentioned the depreciation, and I saw in the book you calculated how much you were paying for your RV after, I guess it was a 20-year loan on this one particular RV. I think it was your first one. And then you factored in also the amount you were paying that you lost, I guess, for depreciation. You After you sold it, you figured out, you divided by 48, I think it was, and figured out how much it depreciated in the month. And it ended up being like over a thousand bucks a month. So then it becomes the question, well, you mentioned all of the RVs obviously cost different prices and there's huge range, of course, but it can get in a lot of questions for somebody that's considering RV life over another life, right? Because like you said, some of these RVs cost a hundred thousand dollars. So could somebody buy a cheaper house somewhere and rent it on Airbnb and make money from it saying, go backpacking, that's an option, right? But Absolutely. for people that want to RV, it's you can only RV if you have an RV. So who is that right for? It's an unfair question because how can you say what that is? But I just kind of want to put it out there because if anybody's listening to this, they might be thinking, well, hey, this is an option of many but is this the option for me, you know, whether it's for three months or three years or whatever the case? I actually think it's a really good question for a couple of reasons, Jason. Is One is the vast majority of people who decide they want to go and live full-time in an RV don't end up doing it for the long term. I think us being on the road for coming up five years, we, we're definitely maybe around in that mid Mid area. Yeah, we've met people that do 20 years. We have, but they're in the minority. Mm -hmm. You know, generally speaking, we'll meet people who do it for one or two or three years. And for whatever reasons, whether it's financial, job, work, family, health, they just get sick of it and want something different. There are so many reasons they want to do something. So that's why we always, you know, recommend to people don't, I mean, if you go in boots and all, I mean, just be aware of what you're doing because it is a depreciating asset. I mean, you could rent out a townhome or an apartment and have someone else paying for the mortgage while you go off traveling. 
you know, that's one way to do it. If you do sell everything, just don't put everything into going and buying a new RV because especially new ones, they depreciate so hard. And I think a lot of people forget that and that's why we really, really drive that point home in the book in when we're talking about the choosing your RV section and the financial section because, you know, people forget that. We all know with cars, you know, it depreciates. But because a car is a necessity for a lot of us to get to work or to, you know, drive kids around or just I know it's getting easier if you're living urban to do car shares, which are awesome programs. But for, for a lot of people, having a car is almost a necessity. And so an RV is not. It's really a luxury item. It does depreciate hard. And I think a lot of people, when they drive it off the lot, and well, it's immediately lost 20%. So if you spend 100 grand, you drive off less 20 and then you may not be able to sell it right away and it's only worth what someone's willing to pay you for it. It's not worth what you think it's worth. It's not worth what you still owe on the note. So I think really that's one thing we really try to drive home is for people to be really responsible about this and realize what if it doesn't work out for any of these reasons or what if it does work out for a few years? Like for us, we had our RV, first RV for about almost four years and we just wanted something different for a variety of reasons, which we won't get into here. We just were ready for, you know, an upgrade, even though we went much older, ironically, we did get the upgrades we wanted, but not overcommitting yourself in such a way that you're going to damage yourself financially. Because we, we've got some friends, I want to share an example. We just spent the summer up in Oregon renovating. We bought a 20-year-old motorhome that we bought for $25,000. Now, 20 years ago, when this was brand new, this is remember, this is 20 years ago, we're selling for $230,000. It's nearly a quarter million dollars. 20 years ago is a lot of money today, let alone 20 years ago. But so it's got all the bones and the quality. So we we spent some money renovating it on a friend's property up in Oregon. And the reason I wanted to mention them is they hit the road with their RV. They lived in Oregon. It gets really cold in the winter. And his wife really loves being in Oregon in the summer where their friends and family are. There's a beautiful lake where she can go paddle boarding. And they have this house and they'd had some tenants and the tenants gave notice on the house and they were getting ready to head south and like, damn, this, what are we going to do? And they decided to keep the house and to do it up as an Airbnb. And they've got a little apartment that used to be her hairdressing salon when she was a hairdresser and turned it into a bungalow. So now they have a house and a little bungalow that they both rent out on, that they did up and they rent them both out on Airbnb and they built an RV pad on there on their site on their land so their rv has electrical and water hookups and a sewer hookup so they're just as if they're in a campground but they're on their own private property in oregon and it honestly we've traveled the entire country we've done 50 states and it is one of our favorite places in the entire country and you've probably never heard of it we kind of don't even want to tell anyone where it is because it's this little secret town but it's i think i love what i love about their story is they've shown a way to make it work where they can spend the summer in the part of the country that they love with the people that they love and then they've got this awesome revenue stream and when the house i mean the house they usually just lock it up for the winter and just just leave it but it turns out this year that area has become so popular they found a couple of tenants that wanted to rent it through the winter so they're actually getting their mortgage paid for through the winter as well but they made really good money on their airbnb this year and i think that was such a resourceful and creative way for them to be able to create the best of both worlds and that that's that's what i love about it is the flexibility and thinking about what what works best for for yeah the lifestyle tends to help you be flexible in your thinking in general but yeah Yeah. and we've met other couples too that you know they might have bought an rv for under ten thousand. yeah and they've set it up to do a lot of boondocking or dry camping where they're not having to pay to be hooked up in campgrounds Mm -hmm. and they traveled fairly slow and so their expenses were super low because they had 
they were living up, you know, getting all their power from the sun and they had, you mm-hmm. know, pick up water at, a, you know, inexpensive places. And so they, they lived super inexpensively. And a year later they sold the RV for what they paid it for. Um, right. so because they, they bought less expensive, but incidentally, that's a guy that Mark used to work with. He and his wife, we just had dinner with him this week in Colorado. They're 30 and they uh, followed the Mr. Money mustache and that whole fire philosophy that I'm sure a lot of your listeners would be really familiar with. And and, and we, we asked them about the finances of Financial it all. Financial independence, retire early. Retire right? Exactly. Retire, yep. Sorry, we're not explaining that. But they, they are actually featured in the book as well because we thought this story was so inspiring about, well, we want to go and travel together before we have kids. They had a house in Denver, which they rented out. Uh, they didn't want to overcommit financially, so they bought something cheap. And he's a handy guy, did the work on it, as Mark said, decked it out with solar and everything. And to be able to sell it a, a year or two years later, they had it for two years, I think, mm-hmm. uh, for the pretty much the same money that they paid for it is amazing. And they've, but what it helped them do through those experiences is also realize they didn't actually want to be t- tied down by home ownership at all. So they came home and and they sold their Denver house, and now they just rent because they didn't want because there are a lot of hidden costs with home ownership that a lot of people don't really think about it's in theory home ownership makes sense because it's appreciating usually uh people in florida 10 years ago will argue that but but you know you know those things like the the utilities and the trash and the hoa and the interest you pay on the mortgage and it's if you really sit down and look at it all you know even even uh furnishing a bigger house i mean the bigger your home the more you need to fill it right to to furnish it to decorate it we did that with our town home and then turned around and sold it <laughs> so you know i think if people just really sit down and take a very very clear objective look at their finances and and try to suspend these ideas that we've all been brought up with that you know this is like renting is a waste of money for example well is it it depends on what you do with your money i mean some people rent because they can live in the area that they want to live in and money that they would normally be putting toward a mortgage, they're putting toward investments or something else. So it's not it's not necessarily black and white. You just right. need to be able to look at it creatively. Yeah, that's true. It's hard to do that sometimes as well when it's your when it's your own finances. But that's why I think it's good to get it all out and kind of just take an honest look at it. And yeah. since it's just us talking, you can totally mm-hmm. tell me that secret town. <laughs> I, will, I will tell you it is called enterprise oregon and okay. it's just uh, about 10 minutes from it's probably more popular close by a town called joseph oregon and it's it's about six hours from portland east of portland's in the northeast part of oregon and it's just beautiful these friends have been inviting us there for for months and when we finally decided to remodel our rv we needed somewhere to park it for the summer and they said come and park here and do it here and we're like you know what they're a really cool couple we met them in a campground we'd only met them once before and then another time in portland had dinner at a sushi restaurant and they just seemed really cool they're about our age and they were just really fun and very generously said hey just park here and, and we actually here's an interesting fact even our audience doesn't know this yet so but i'm going to tell you anyway we they all knew when we bought this RV in March that we planned on renovating it. What they don't know is uh, we've already done the renovation. We've finished the whole thing. We've videoed the whole thing. We've got a whole video series come, coming up called The Ultimate RV Makeover, which will, will be on YouTube. But but we did that entire renovation completely off-grid on their property, just using um, power from the sun through our solar panels on the roof of our RV and lithium batteries. We've got that. So, so we did the whole thing off-grid for seven weeks. Power tools, everything, like tile cutters, mm-hmm. uh, everything. Table saws, cool. everything. Table saws, yeah, totally off-grid. 
<laughs> that's sweet. Wow. That's uh sustainable travel is a big uh, topic for me coming up in the next year. So I love the sound of that. Yeah. I want to ask you about the choice of an RV versus a trailer. And we don't have to get too deep into this, but to me, the trailer seems like the sexier option because you can unhook and then you have a vehicle to drive around and do things in. And in my experience, that's been a nice thing, but you guys are in an RV. You talk a lot about RVs. I'm just curious what you're, where you land. It sounds like you land on the RV side, but I guess I want to hear why. And I know this is more of a personal preference thing for most people, but I want to hear your argument for the RV over the trailer. <laughs> and we'll, we'll, we'll specify that we're in a motorhome because typically the RV, recreational vehicle, is a term. It could be for a motorized like we have or a towable like that you talk about. That's mm. kind of a general term that could be used. Yeah, for and and. And to your point, the vast majority of people who do purchase RVs do purchase towables. They do purchase trailers. Um, and I think it's, what, 85 or 87% mm -hmm. are towables, and then about 10% are, are well, the remainder are motorized, but 10% of that are smaller motorized, like Class Cs and, um, you know, the ones that you see the rentals with the, the big branding all over the side. And then only a small number are these larger bus-type Class As, which is what we have. And the reason we chose this is because we just really like the the whole home is all set up. And when we're driving, Julie can get up and she can get something out of the fridge. She can use the restroom. We love it when we stop somewhere. We don't even have to get out. And it can be fully set up, fully self-contained. And we love having more spirited cars for our driving around because you mentioned you like having something more fun. Spirited like cars? Is mm. that the term yeah, we use for yes. speeding, Mark? <laughs> not necessarily not a big truck but uh you know we had you know the first few years we towed a mini cooper convertible and now we tow a, a jeep cherokee trailhawk to do a little bit more off-roading and stuff and so we do enjoy those and so we just tow our car behind our motorhome that we do the running around i got it okay but yeah um, but truck and trailer home, really, you're towing the car Great. right and so but truck and trailer is a really great way it's usually a lower price to entry um mm -hmm. so and like I said, that's the vast majority of people, partially because the vast majority of people who buy RVs are buying them for part-time use. And if you're going to have something that sits in in storage or sits unused a lot, a trailer is a far better choice for that path than something motorized. Motorized ones want to be used, want to be moving. Um, right, but yeah, right. That's true. Yeah, so if, if you're going to get something and, and you're going to go just you know for, on the summers with it, for example, or just for a few months – probably the trailer is the better option trailer is extremely likely Otherwise, and it also depends on what you already have too like if you look in your garage if you already have something that can tow a trailer oh my gosh definitely right. go trailer that because is a no -brainer. that's the biggest part of the expense is the what what's what are you going to tow it with as, as long as it's rated to tow the particular trailer that you choose right. so you know you want right. to place yes. the trailer on what the truck is or you change the truck you know we don't want we don't want people driving yet. towing illegally after oh this my podcast God, we see it all the time we see some scary stuff at <laughs> i promised i would ask the mail question even though i think it's kind of you know i mean you figure it out right there's mail forwarding services and, and different things but i'll ask and, and the reason i'm going to ask is because it ties into another question and mail's just kind of the lead question but because you don't necessarily base anywhere, are there any things that you do to your advantage that can help people who aren't basing anywhere? So that could be tax stuff. That could be um, really anything because you 
can kind of choose where you base in a way, but then it's, it's a little tricky because I've gotten this asked this question a lot and it's hard to explain. Like you, you just have to have a driver's license from some state, right? So do you want to just get into a little bit of that stuff? Yeah, and, and it is a good question. You do have to be based somewhere for legal purposes right. for a driver's license, which you obviously need if you're going to be driving an RV, and for taxes. And so we were in Colorado, and about uh, six months in, we once we realized, you know what, we, we want to do this longer term now. Because the first six months, we just had a family member. We had a mail redirected to, to Mark's brothers and his wife, and they took care of it for six months, and we thanked them with Amazon gift cards. And then it got to the point where we're like, okay, we, we're in this for the long term. We don't want to have to inconvenience them, and let's put an our you know big girl and boy pants and do this properly and so we started exploring our options and very much like healthcare it's such an individual choice but there are three states that are optimal for and more popular for RVers for full-time RVers because the laws are more favorable to people that live this kind of mobile life and those three states are Florida South Dakota and Texas and they all have their uh different pros and cons of their strengths, depending, again, on your own situation. We elected Texas, uh, and there is a mail forwarding services there that does allow us to use their address as an address. So when we give our address out, it's, you know, 125 Rainbow Drive, and then it has the hashtag and a number, which is like like an apartment number. Of course, it's not an apartment. It's a it's a folder in Livingston, Texas, out of Houston, <laughs> and then they, they get our mail. And so, you know, we'll call up or if we wanted, we can pay for the scanning service. I'll scan our mail and we'll get it by email. We don't get that much uh, snail mail anymore. Obviously, I think anyone considering this kind of any kind of mobile life, you need to get your life online. I'm sure a lot of your listeners probably already do most things digitally anyway, but it's amazing how much stuff we still have to get mailed and it can get frustrating, like toll bills, you know, and you get it a month later. <laughs> but is but, there, but um, is there point, some tax yeah, advantages yeah. for, okay. So when, when we changed from Colorado to uh, Texas, which has no state income tax, that was an immediate increase. Yeah, essentially, so, you know, what, what, five, six percent increase in income because yeah, we no longer had a state tax. income tax. Paying, yeah. so. Because mm-hmm. who cares? And then you had to get a driver's license from Texas, I guess. Yeah. Is that, okay. So we we drove. We actually got out our plates, believe it or not, for both the RV and the tow vehicle mailed to us in Palm Springs, California. Yeah. Before we'd ever Before been to Texas. Before we'd even been to Texas. So we did it all by mail. They put the plates on, but then we had to go to Texas to get our driver's license. So we hightailed it over there, dropped into Amarillo, visited Cadillac Ranch, went to the Big Texan Steakhouse for dinner, went the next morning, got our vehicles inspected, got our driver's license and left. We were there for like 24 hours. <laughs> nice. And now you're <laughs> residents and you don't pay yeah, state tax. Well, I mean, this, is, this isn't just for RVers. This is for anybody that wants to be nomadic that's based in the yeah. States. I would say, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Texas, Florida, and what was the other one again? I always South forget. Dakota. South Dakota. South Dakota. Yeah. But and they, they all have these types of services where you can sign Definitely. up and they'll kind of hook it up. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. And there's, a, there's a bunch of them listed in the book yeah, too. Just- just make sure you do your research on a lot of levels. You know, there's the state income tax is definitely a big motivator, uh, but depending on the type of income you have, um, you might have different tax advantages. You know, we have a friend who does his domicile in a different, I think it's Arkansas because, or Alabama, because mm-hmm. that state has better tax laws for pension, uh, pension He's taxing. He's re- retired air traffic so, controller. You know, just do your research, but there's a lot of states, I think there's like 10 states that don't have state income tax, mm-hmm. and there's you know, a lot of different rules and laws, but those three states Julie mentioned are tend to be favorable for people who live a mobile life. How did you guys get engaged? Tell me the story. <laughs> we got engaged in a hot air balloon over Boulder. 
We did. Nice. And you might be wondering because I'm Australian how we met, but we met on eHarmony, the dating website. I was already living in Boulder and Mark okay. was in Broomfield. She's not a mail-order bride like some people <laughs> might. Not. No, he did not import me. <laughs> are you guys getting? This is going to sound like a terrible question. Say, are you getting along? I know you're getting along, but I mean, when you hit when you hit the road with listen, I've been on the road with people for many years nomadically, and and you it's tight quarters. I mean, you're living in an RV, basically living in a tiny house on wheels. Come on, guys, we need some honesty here. Was there a tough adjustment in the beginning, or was it all kind of? always good or i mean I, I guess i'm looking for some advice here for some couples i see some faces over here on the skype call so well, you know, we, uh, julie's looking we, off to the side mark's looking a little uncomfortable he's shifting around you know, we i think had a little bit of an advantage over some folks in that we were already living together at home and working from home together so we were used to spending more time together I think and some we're kind of newlyweds. We've only and, been together a couple of years, yeah, so that we've only helps. Been together a couple of years as well. <laughs> but I think some people they run into more challenges because they've been used to having a very separate life. Whether they have their kids or they have separate jobs, where they're out of the home and they spend a lot less time with each other. So that, and they might be doing the transition to this life on top of making a transition from leaving careers or something. And so they have multiple large life changes on top of each other. Um, but I, I often like to reference the the lifestyle of switching into an RV or into traveling a lot together in that it's you're squeezing a bigger your normal life into a smaller space and when you do squeeze that things are going to come out and it's going to be an amplifier so if you think things are really good it can actually enhance and deepen your relationship if things are challenged it will bring out those challenges which can be good and bad it can give you opportunity to address them and work through them and in, in make your relationship better or we have seen people you know that it goes the other way so yeah we've met couples there was one family camping near us this week that we met a few years ago and uh, their relationship they're on the brink of divorce when they hit the road with four kids mind you in the Arabi and they actually healed their marriage to the point where they now kind of teach and counsel people on that, on marriage. Now, we've met other couples that have been married for 30 years, hit the road in an RV, and after, you know, a year or two, they end up divorced and one moves back to the other side of the country. So we've seen well, – but it, you definitely – look, people still get on each other's nerves, right? I mean, yeah. there's like – it's called, it's called being well, a human being, think, right? Oh, yeah, noise human. and smell. And, 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 the swerving <laughs> you probably saw when we first asked the question was probably because, you know, Julie and I did really well when we had our separate work and we had that. But when the challenges really sprung up for us is when we started working together yeah. all the time. Yeah, it's, that's, what pulling, together that's why I was pulling faces. Thing, but <laughs> working difference. together the challenge, mm -hmm. yeah. So that'd be the caution that I would make to folks is that, it's one thing to live together, especially if you're, you know, got similar interests. You're going to go do all these neat yeah. travel things, and that's nice. But and you had some separation of time. But once we lived together and worked together, now there was even less separation. Yeah. Um, but I think for a lot of people, just to more directly answer your question to Jason is, you know, invest in a good set of over-ear headphones because that, <laughs> you know, if you're what, listening to music or watching YouTube videos or your that way you show, can zone it, out your your spouse. Yeah, <laughs> you can zone each other out, and then when you see your spouse with their big headphones on, because it's so easy, you know, when you're at home with your wife, but it's easy to just ask a question or make a comment because they're there, and that's just 
noise, right? But if you've got your headphones on, it's like, oh, you know, he's listening to a podcast or he's watching, you know, Breaking Bad or whatever. And I shouldn't have used that example because that's what people think of with RVs now ever since that show came out. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's a really great tip. But also, I mean, you're on the doorstep of so many hiking and biking trails and I think you just need to be able to go out and do things on your own or even going and doing the laundry, believe it or not. You know, you could go and do the laundry and that gives you some time out away from your spouse. But you definitely need to come up with some strategies that, that give you some time away from each other because you don't have your regular friends and family that you normally would in a community where you can, oh, I'm going down to Sally's to have coffee this afternoon. It's not quite the same. And so you need to carve that out more. You know, sometimes we'll even drive separately on drive days, especially if it's not a long drive. We'll say, oh, well, it's only a two-hour drive. Well, I'll drive separately instead of towing the vehicle. And we both love to drive and we both get that downtime. I can put on my hands free and have a chat with a girlfriend or just listen to music. And Mark, he just likes to drive in silence. I can have silence. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very silent. <laughs> Enjoy the silence. <laughs> he's got his big headphones on, right? And he's not, nothing's pumping through them. It's just silence. Communicate. Reduce noise. But you just have to communicate and communicate even before you hit the road about what your needs are. I'm an extrovert. Mark's an introvert. We know that. And so he needs alone time. I need, you know, more stimulation time. And so when you understand that about each other and instead of making each other wrong when you inevitably, you know, have your little your little tips, which is going to happen. That's just life. We all do. Um you know, how are you going to handle that? And to be able to recognize like Mark, he, his uh, stress relief is getting out on his bike. He's a cyclist. And I can tell if he's getting on the edge and I'll just go, you know, why don't you just head out on the bike this afternoon? And then, and you, you know, be able, you can, you can tune into your partner's emotions a little more and, and sort of nip it in the bud, I yeah, think, uh, right. before things get too bad. Yeah. You, <laughs> you get to know each other so well. And I love that. It's true. The amplification thing, you know, and, and like you said, it's not necessarily a bad thing if, if you're confronted with certain things that you didn't realize before, because in regular life, I would say you, you got your routines, people are coming in and out. You kind of just easy to sort of avoid certain things or table them. But if you're in the RV traveling around, you have to really face more for, for better or worse. They say, right. That's what marriage is. Yep. So that's true with uh, going out on the road together too. <laughs> five years that you guys have doing this now, there's ups and downs. Anytime you're on the road for that long, I may certainly remember spending my decade plus on the road and and there had been times during it where I never thought I would ever stop for my whole life and other times where I was like I'm longing for oh maybe I should just move somewhere and live somewhere and I can have more of a, a routine a community type thing have you guys had those moments at all where you're just kind of like you know how long are we going to do this is this something we want to keep doing I mean where are you at in that curve well, in that curve for us, I mean, we actually have been able to build a substantial community on the road. And mm -hmm. so that community aspect is really interesting in that we have a larger group of people in the – we have a more robust social environment that, on the road than we ever did in our traditional mm -hmm. lifestyle. But to the bigger question you're asking is if where we're at in that curve is that we we love the lifestyle. We love being able to always have something new and interesting outside our windows, and we love being able to travel and experience things, and be able to have the yeah at the best times of year. You know, like Julie mentioned, that place in Oregon, it's fantastic in the summer, not ideal in the winter. <laughs> so uh, there's a lot of places that are the same where they have their peak months, and we always are able to do that. But as far as settling down, I think Julie and I 
we've both talked multiple times that we see ourselves traveling by RV in another country before we plan on ever having a traditional home here in the U.S. It's so great to hear that you're enjoying your time out on the road, still enjoying it after all these years, and the fact that you're sharing your story and putting yourself out there and everything you learn to help others who want to get out there hit the road as well. Really appreciate the work you're doing, and thank you for taking the time to stop by the show. And I hope we cross paths again somewhere in the world soon. Hey, it's great to be with you again, Jason. Yeah, so excited to be a part of that. There you go. I want to say thanks to Mark and Julie and congrats once again on the book and everything they have going on. Exciting stuff. It's amazing, or I should say it never ceases to amaze me how people are able to build a living around the things that they love and enjoy. And you might have noticed a trend through this show or just things that you follow that, yes, these things take time. They can take a lot of time, years even, but here they are some years into their travels and now this is their full-time gig. They get to share everything they love about the RV lifestyle. So that's super exciting and inspiring. I always get inspired by people who are able to create a business around the things that they love. If you need help with that, by the way, we have a community for that called Location Indie and a podcast of the same name. If you haven't been over there, you can check that out. We're actually going to open the community up to new members early next year because we know you want to get the year started off on the right foot. This is one of your big goals, being location independent, being able to start something where you can travel around like Mark and Julie have done. Check it out, locationindie.com. You can just sign up over there. Of course, if you're on the zero to travel list, I'll be pinging you and letting you know that that's open. And also a quick thanks to Tortuga Backpacks for supporting today's show. Get a travel or something they love. Travel gear, zero to travel.com slash Tortuga. That will take you right to my recommendations page and you can get 10% off anything you order by typing the promo code TRAVEL in. Just the word TRAVEL. I picked that because it's so easy for you to remember. It's your favorite thing or one of your favorite things, I should say. I'm guessing because you're here. (laughs) So just enter the promo code TRAVEL. You'll get 10% off any of the Tortuga backpacks or travel gear that you order. It's a no-brainer, right? You don't have to think about your gift list anymore. There you go. Got a traveler you know and love or you want to buy something for yourself? Travel gear. Bam. Done deal. Thanks again to them for supporting today's show. And if you get anything over there, you'll be supporting the show as well because I'm an affiliate for them. So thank you so much for that. Now, let me tell you about this scary, scary ride. It involved an RV. I picked the RV one because of today's show. I was on tour traveling around the States and we were setting up this show. (laughs) It's my jobs. My past jobs are pretty weird some of them anyway we would set up this stage in this whole show where we were doing this nationwide search for the most animated kid in america and we were doing this for a large entertainment company that has theme parks and things that will remain unnamed anyway we would travel from city to city being the glorified carnies that we were and we would set up this stage and kids would come out and do these fun auditions and they dance around and part of this we had a tent where kids could color and then we also had this RV where the side popped out and we would serve slurpy type drinks slushy drinks and it would always be too hot and the machine would break inevitably and it never worked but that was a whole other thing anyway we also stored a lot of our gear in the in the RV. So it was pretty weighted down to the point that on the way out to the first gig from Los Angeles to Denver, 
We drove all night and somehow burned out the brakes when we got to the parking lot of the TV station we were doing a little bit at. The brakes no longer worked. If that happened 10 minutes before, we would have come flying down the mountains of Colorado and I wouldn't be here talking to you on this podcast, that's for sure. That was scary thing number one that happened. Also, I broke my ankle that day and did the rest of the tour on a broken ankle. (laughs) That's another story because this story I'm going to tell you involves the RV breaking down in a national park in South Dakota. We were in Badlands National Park. We didn't get much time off, but when you get time off and you're on tour, at least on this tour, we didn't get much time, you want to go do something. And that something for us was to go hiking. So we took this RV up some pretty mountainous terrain again, and it's been through a lot at this point. And what happens? It breaks down in the middle of nowhere. So my buddy Kevin and I, I was on tour with, we call a tow truck, finally find a company to come from the city to get us, which takes some time. Now it's the middle of the night, probably past midnight. And this guy hooks up the RV and starts driving us back to the city. And he is driving so fast, faster than I would drive in a car on this road, except he's driving a truck and he has our RV on the back that's totally weighted down. And we're just sitting in the cab with him trying to help him stay awake because he was clearly tired and even talked about how tired he was and would respond to every single thing we said or any question we asked by saying this. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Any question we asked. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And we just kept asking a lot of questions because if this dude fell asleep, we were all going to die. And (laughs) it was the middle of the night. I can't emphasize how scary this was because we had no control. And this guy really seemed to be on the edge of not only sleep, but maybe even sanity. Who knows? Anyway, <laughs> he got us out of this jam, took the RV into the city. By the time we got in there, I think he was so tired, he drove actually drove up over a curb on a sidewalk, but it was the middle of the night, so nobody was there. Nobody got hurt. I don't know. It, it was just one of those super scary experiences, and I've been in many RVs that have broken down and been in a situation where we've had to get people to come out and help. I've had one double-decker bus held for ransom by a tow truck driver. So I have a lot of experience with with these random breakdowns and tow trucks and things. But that's just one little story. I'm so glad I survived. The other thing that jumped to mind when I mentioned that whole idea of being scared and being along for the ride, I can think of maybe some tuk-tuk rides or different things, you know, being in taxis where the driver's driving like a maniac. But never was I more scared in an overseas travel situation then being in a minibus in Guatemala with this guy that was the sort of the stereotypical definition of machismo. He just never wanted anybody to go faster than him or to get by him. And he was passing people on blind curves on a mountain going very fast. And it was just luck that there wasn't a car hitting us head on every time. And it it was insane and so scary. And I would say maybe the scariest, maybe the closest I ever felt to being on the edge of death. There was the time where I almost got my head taken off by a train in Europe. But again, that's another story. We got travel stories. That's what travelers do. They travel around and then things happen, right? Things that happen that wouldn't happen at home happen. And then you have a story to tell. So you always have to remember that if you're having a bad day out on the road. 
this is a story you can tell later. And there you go. There are a couple stories. Feel free to share yours. You can always get in touch via email, jason at zerotravel.com. But I'm here. I survived those rides, thankfully, knocking on wood. (laughs) Thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for being a part of this community. Let me leave you with a quote. All right. Let me leave you with a quote. And this one's a little meditation on nature because that is one of the things that I mentioned in the interview I love about the idea of the RV lifestyle is the proximity to nature. You just open your door and you're right in the outdoors. Even if you're at a campground or whatever, you still, when you're camping and in those situations, you have more connection to the outdoors, I think. And this one's from John Muir. Who else, right? He said, in every walk with nature, one receives far more than he seeks. So get out, enjoy the day, take a little walk in nature or whatever nature you have around you and enjoy yourself. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for being here. I'll see you next time. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.